Amen. You guys can have a seat. Wow. What a great start to our day today. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 42. How many of you can relate to that song and, and you're kind of, that's maybe a prayer in your life today? Yeah. A lot of us are in that situation. And uh, today's message is, is going to either hit you like right between the eyes and be an encouragement for you. Or this is going to be one of those uh, Sundays where you end up sharing this message with a friend who's going through a challenging uh, situation in their life or they're dealing with the problem because the, the title of today's message is God, turn it around. And I think so often in our life we face uh, issues and problems where that really is our prayer. We're in a series called Dangerous Dreams and we've been learning that dreams are dangerous. The God-given dreams that he's given to you for your family, for your business, for your marriage, for your life, that is a dangerous dream. And the enemy wants to destroy that dream. As soon as you announce it, as soon as you try to walk in it and live in it, the enemy wants to try to ruin that and wreck that and steal that from you. Uh, the, the story that we've been going through in the book of Genesis is of a guy named Joseph. And so uh, just to recap the story a little bit, Joseph is a guy who had a, a dream that, that God gave to him and that he was going to be a great leader and, and he was going to uh, actually in, see his family coming to him in need. Well, he has this dream and his brothers are jealous of this and so they hated him because their father favored Joseph anyway and, and now this dream uh, made him look a little arrogant and he's 17 years old and, and so these, this is a rough bunch of men and uh, they end up beating him up and selling him into slavery. And, and so we saw that in Joseph's life. He ends up in, a, in Egypt at a guy's house named Potiphar. God blesses the hard work of Joseph and God really favors him even as a slave. And Potiphar sees his leadership ability and his work ethic and his morality and integrity. And so he promotes him to be all uh, in charge of the entire household. And so Potiphar's wife sees this and she's attracted to this guy and, and uh, she uh, tempts him to sleep with her. And every day this happens, but Joseph over and over again, he denies her. And then one day when nobody is around, she tempts him again. He denies again, but she grabs his coat, his jacket essentially. And he is so dedicated to purity that he just kind of spins out of the jacket and runs off and she holds the jacket and she is humiliated. And so she decides to accuse him of rape. And so Potiphar believes her, sends him to prison. He's in prison for at least two years, maybe more, for a crime he doesn't commit. And while he's in prison, he interprets some dreams for some other guys who were in prison. And, and then last week we learned that Pharaoh has a dream. Uh, he, he's essentially the ruler of Egypt. Nobody can interpret the dream. And then it gets back to Pharaoh that there's a guy in, in jail that can probably interpret this dream. And so, uh, yes, Joseph interprets the dream and that gets him out of prison. Um, because of his discernment and his ability to interpret this dream of Pharaoh, Pharaoh puts him in charge of the entire country because of his ability to do this. And, and so for, uh, he's 30 years old now when he gets out of jail and he is promoted. So for 13 years, he struggled for 13 years, he's been a slave, he's been in prison, he's been beaten down, he's been broken, but now God, him, God has taken him out of the pit and now he's 
at the pinnacle of his life. Now he has the respect. Now he has the leadership and God continues to show him favor. And the dream that he interprets for Pharaoh is that there's gonna be seven years of abundance and then there's gonna be a seven year famine. And so because he's in charge of the country now, what he does is for seven years, he starts to store up food and grain so that he can prepare for this seven year famine that is actually coming. And in chapter seven, the seven years of famine have hit the land and everybody in the region is out of food. And so everybody starts to turn to Egypt because they're the only place that has food. And Joseph's brothers go looking for food, but they run into a major problem. And, and that's where we kind of come to this moment of God, turn it around because we've been focusing on Joseph. Today, we're gonna really focus on Jacob and his brothers. Right, because now they're facing a problem and, and everybody can kind of relate to this because we've all faced problems. We're, we're either, someone has said that, you know, we're either in a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or we're about to go into a storm. <laughs> and that's just kind of the seasons that we go through in life. And this is just a, a cyclical thing that we all experience. And so some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you have survived and you're kind of on the tail end of it, or some of you are just right around the corner from stepping into something. And so this is a relevant and much needed message for each of us. And I think we've all dealt with this and, and we've all struggled with this, but we're gonna face something in our life that rocks us to our core. We're gonna face something in life that we don't understand, that's out of our control. We're gonna face extremely painful seasons in our life, things where we're, we're gonna be difficult and we're gonna, we're gonna say things like, why does life have to be so difficult? We're gonna say things like, life just isn't fair. We're gonna say things like, God, where are you at? Why aren't you stepping in? You're gonna say things like, I, I, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this craziness. I'm, I'm gonna go insane. <laughs> I'm gonna lose it. And if I don't, see God move, if I don't experience something now, the stress is too difficult, the pain is too difficult, the challenge is too much. And so you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna think, you're gonna ask, God, can you turn my family issues around? God, can you really turn my marriage around? God, can you turn my kids around? God, can you take my broken heart and turn it around? Is it even possible? And, and so today's message is titled, God, Turn It Around. And you probably prayed that prayer, maybe not in those words, but you, you've cried out to God. You've asked God to change your situation. You've asked God to move. You, you've asked him to step into that situation. You've prayed for healing. You've prayed for your marriage. You've prayed that God would, would change the mind of your spouse, perhaps. You've asked God to provide financially. Every single one of us have experienced desperation or hurt or loss, and we needed God to turn it around. Things are going great for Joseph. I want us to understand this. He's finally doing amazing. He's a leader. He's successful. People look to him uh, as a leader and, and one who is favored and blessed by God. And so he has come out of slavery, out of prison. He is honored now. But listen, no matter how successful and powerful he had become, he still had unresolved issues with his family. He was hurt by his brothers. He missed his father. He missed his younger brother. And there was an emptiness and a brokenness inside of him. 
And when you think about his brothers, I mean, they're dealing, had to be, we're going to see today, they, they were most definitely dealing with, with guilt and, and with shame because of what they had, had experienced. And so not only does Joseph have these issues that he's dealing with, but his brothers have this tremendous guilt and shame that they are dealing with as well. I mean, how do you live 13 years with such a lie like your, your brother is dead? They, they, they told their father, Jacob, you know, Joseph is dead dead. It's a lie. And for 13 years, they've held that lie. They've watched their father slip into depression. They've watched their father deteriorate physically because of the sorrow and grief in his life. And they said nothing. Some of you know what it feels like to keep a secret. You know the weight of that guilt and shame. This is where the brothers are at. And you look at this and you think, can God really turn this family around? They are experiencing tremendous guilt and shame. And, they're, and, and, and you know, we read this and we, we look at this and we're thinking, man, is God really going to be able to turn it around? Is God going to actually be able to heal Jacob's broken heart? Is God actually going to be able to give these brothers forgiveness? And, and so that's really the question that we want to we talk about today. And that's kind of what we're singing about. And somebody's singing about it too today. <laughs> but, but how does God turn it around. And so in chapter 42, in the first few verses, we're going to see that, that, that God begins to do something in their life that is unexpected, right? Uh, we, wanna, we, we sometimes want God to react to our situation like a genie in a bottle. You know, do, does God really just kind of, when we have this need and we're like, God turned it around, is he just going to like pop out of the body uh, bottle and like blink his eyes or snap his fingers and then healing is going to happen and, and then everything is going to be changed. God usually doesn't work like that. And in this passage, we're going to see how he does work, right? So how does he turn it around? Let's start in verse one of chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So this is a famine. They are desperate. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain. 10, there's 12 sons. Benjamin is the youngest. He's Joseph's brother from the same mother, Rachel. So he stays. Joseph is obviously gone. He thinks he's dead. So the 10 brothers go into Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his uh, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Last time I sent my son, you know, that I loved, something bad happened. I'm not sending Benjamin. Verse five, thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was, uh, was in the land of Canaan. And so what God usually does, what God often does, when we're in a situation where we're like desperate, God turn this around, often God will allow a problem. We don't want to read that today. <laughs> when I need God to turn it around, I want him to immediately change everything and solve it and make my feelings feel good and better and resolved, right? That's what we usually want, but God works differently. God allows problems to come into our life. This is how he's working in the life of Joseph and his brothers at this point. In the first few verses here, we see that God has allowed a big problem in Jacob's life. In his son's life, he brings a famine that has overtaken the land. And even though Jacob is a wealthy man and he had a lot of land and a lot of cattle, the famine has overwhelmed them as well. 
And so they have no food. And so they have this huge problem. And, and, and listen, when God wants to turn it around in your life, he's often gonna bring a problem into our life. And that problem is meant to test you. We're tested because God wants to change us. And he wants us to change because he wants us to experience a better life, right? That's the issue. And a better life is gonna be experienced on the other side of the test that you and I go through. So God might allow a physical problem. He might allow an emotional problem. He might allow a, a, a relational problem. He, he tests you uh, perhaps by allowing you to get caught in a sin. And so God allows this and this test is something that will cause you and I to struggle it will be uh, a situation that will cause us to suffer in some way, but he allows that to come into our life. And when that moment comes into your life, into my life, here's one of the most important things that we can think through. You see, your interpretation of the problem will determine your response. And so often we face a problem and we don't interpret it as it's God working in us or through us. We don't look at it as an opportunity for God to, to, that, that he is doing something new or that he is doing something great. Our mind goes immediately to he's harming us, we blame God, we blame others, or even worse, we just ignore the problem altogether. And when we just ignore, uh, ignore the problems, it's not that they, life gets any better, life actually gets worse. When you ignore the problems in your, in your life and you just try to put it out of your mind and you don't deal with the issues of your past or issues that you're going through relationally, it doesn't get better. Anxiety just grows. Stress just grows. Things get worse. Instead, we've got to see this problem or this challenge that's coming to our life as, as an opportunity from God. It's a kingdom opportunity. It's a kingdom opportunity for your spiritual growth. We have to view it this way. It's the path to genuine change and to genuine faith in our life. And so what you have to do is you see this problem as an opportunity for God to turn it around. He's working bigger. He's working in a, in a, in a much uh, higher capacity than you can even imagine, right? And so we have to see that this prepares us for the next few steps here. And in verses nine through 20, I'm just gonna kind of summarize what happens. So the brothers are sent to Egypt and yes, they stand before Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but because Joseph has changed so much and he would have looked like an Egyptian, dressed like an Egyptian, they didn't recognize him. They, 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 don't, they, they just assume he's dead or gone. No way is this guy gonna be our brother. And so he immediately recognizes them and in verse 9 of chapter 42, it says that Joseph remembers his dream. Here's his dream coming true. The vision of his brothers bowing down to him and him being a great leader is coming true. But the ticker tape doesn't fall from the sky. And the parade and the band isn't coming through downtown. You see, I'm a March Madness guy. It's been heartbreaking at times, but it's fun. You know, the, the, the teams that that win, get the ticker tape parade and the championship and they get all the fields, their dream, you know, is fulfilled. And we've seen that so often that we think when we fulfill our dreams, that all of those feelings are going to be there and it's going to be like, ah, I made it and this is it. And it's like, that's not like real life. You might be living your dream today, but you haven't, you haven't necessarily recognized that you are living the dream. 
and you're not content with the dream that God has fulfilled and you're just grabbing for more and more and more and more and more and wanting this and wanting this and you feel like you're still not there and you're still, you haven't made it and you're not good enough yet and you're still grabbing and grabbing and God is like, gee whiz, what have I, look at what I've given you. Step back and think about it. Here's Joseph, the dream is fulfilled but he, his heart is still heavy and it's because he, he still has these unresolved issues. He hasn't dealt with it. He doesn't know how to deal with it. His brothers are standing before him and, 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 and so he accuses them of being a spy and he puts them in jail. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, bro, much respect for that move. That had to feel good, <laughs> you know? But I think he does that because he's got to figure out his plan. Like this threw him off. Like, what am I going to do with these guys? And, and so he brings it back in the room and he says, look, uh, I think you're a spy, so I'm going to keep one of you in jail. And I, I want you to go back to your home. They tell them the whole story about who they are, why they're there. And I want you to bring your youngest brother back. And so he sets them up because he wants to see his younger brother. So they leave, but in their bags, he puts all the money that they brought and gave to him for all the food. He puts all the money back in there. And then he fills up all their sacks with all this grain and more than they could even you know, hardly carry. And so on their way back, they found the money stashed in the bag. And now they're afraid because they're like, oh my gosh, he's gonna say that we're you know, uh, stealing from him. And so now they're worried and now all of this is happening. You know. but, but as he's telling them this story, I wanna go to verse 21. Uh, as they are standing before him and he's saying, this is what the plan is and what you're gonna do. Here's what he says in verse 21. Then they said, the brothers said to one another, and they're talking in Hebrew, right? Because Egyptians don't speak Hebrew. So they're trying to have a private conversation that the man in charge isn't gonna understand. But of course he can, because he speaks Hebrew. And they say this to each other. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Joseph hears what they are saying. And so the second thing that God uses to turn, or, turn it around in our life is honesty. And you might write it down like this. God wants you to own your sin and tell the truth. He wants you to own your sin and tell the truth. This is experiencing, this is what the brothers are experiencing in this moment. Finally, finally they're coming to a moment. They're not blaming Joseph, you know, for being the arrogant, spoiled brat. They're not blaming Jacob, their father, who, who loved, you know, Joseph more or whatever. They're actually owning their guilt. They're owning their sin, finally. And Joseph is able to hear this. He's able to finally get, to, get a sense of where their heart is at. They realize that what they had done is wrong and they're beginning to take responsibility for their sins. They're owning it in front of him. Now listen, when you've done something wrong, um, I wanna ask, have you, have you taken the opportunity to be honest with God and own your sin? If you're facing a situation where you're like, God, like, like, I need you to turn this around. Have you gone to the point of where like, okay, well, what's in my life that perhaps God is bringing this into my life because there is sin in my life that he wants to expose. He wants me to take it serious. He wants me to own it. See, so often we just wanna sin and we just wanna live our life. We just wanna ignore holiness. We wanna ignore that God is in control and ignore that God calls us to a life of holiness. 
And we just wanna look to God like he's Santa Claus. Fix this, do this, give me this gift, give me that gift. And why aren't you doing it? And then when things are good, I'll just ignore you. No, God's gotta bring issues in our life because that's usually the only time where we're willing to listen. And so here they are owning. When you've done something wrong, God wants you to own it. He wants you to tell the truth. He wants you to confess. He wants you to repent. And if you want God to bring about change in your life, if you need God to turn a situation around, then do the right thing. Own your sin. What is it? Maybe you don't know. You ask him, what is it, God, in my life that you are trying to purge, that you want me to to expose to you? And then you lay that down. You confess that. If you've hurt someone, should you not make amends in that situation? Maybe that's the change God wants to bring in and through your life. If you are going to go through a challenge, make sure you take that opportunity to confess sin to God because genuine repentance leads to change. And maybe the problem in your life today are there because God essentially wants you to turn to him. He wants you to trust him and, 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 and lean into him. And here the brothers feel guilty, right, of, of what they've experienced. And I want you to know God uses guilt to lead you to change. We're afraid of guilt. Some of us experience what, what I would call misplaced guilt. Misplaced guilt is the guilt that you feel about a situation that you did not cause. You know, it, it'd be like a kid who feels guilty that his parents got divorced because he thinks it's his fault. That's misplaced guilt, not his fault. Parents made those decisions, right? Some of us deal with misplaced guilt. We want to recognize the two, right? There's misplaced, but then there's also righteous guilt. God uses righteous guilt when you have done something wrong. He brings our conscience into play. We feel guilty for that. And when we feel that guilt, then it must lead us to repentance. It needs to lead us to a place of confession to him. He wants to use that, but he also uses fear to lead you to change. The brothers are fearful now that the money is in their bags. He's going to accuse us of robbing him or stealing. They go back and they tell their father Jacob the story. And Jacob is now distressed, and now he is fearful. Now he is upset yet again. And the reason is because he's afraid that now Benjamin, who this man is calling to come to Egypt, could die. Maybe he is going to throw him into jail, and now he's going to lose all of his sons, and he's going to lose everything. And, 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 and so fear is in the camp. Fear is now in the midst of the family. And God's going to use fear to bring about change in this family's life. Um, most of us have healthy fears that protect us, right? Healthy fears protect us. God uses fear to restrain you and I from sin. And so we fear consequences, and so we don't uh, commit certain sin, right? God uses that in our life. We fear car accidents, and it usually leads us not to speed on the highway, some of us. If you're spiritually asleep, you're not serving the Lord. God might bring a fearful situation into your life to awaken you, to get and to grab your attention. He uses fear. God wants to use that fear to lead you and I to take care of our souls. Soul care. How, 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 do, we, how do we take care of our soul? Well, we, we go to God in prayer. Fear should lead us to prayer. Fears that we have should lead us to the word of God. It should lead us to seek God and then trust God in that situation. And when that happens, 
what God does is he removes the fear and he replaces it with love. First John 4, perfect love casts out fear. God's perfect love floods our heart as we seek him, as we worship him, as we uh, pray to him, as we uh, serve him. And as we do that, he then begins to replace that fear with uh, love. And God's going to use fear, but love is a greater motivator. Love is a greater motivator. If I'm just, if, if I'm making decisions based on my fear, then I'm, I'm always going to have this fear. But when I can get to the point to where when I sin, I know it breaks the heart of God and I know it breaks relationships. It hurts my family, hurts my church. And, and, and most of all, it hurts the heart of God. And God loves me and he wants the best for me. And so when I'm, I'm, I'm motivated by love for God, now it's opening up my heart for more of God's love and it leads me to, to greater change in my life. But, but, but he'll replace that fear with love if you allow him to. Allow that fear though to lead you to repentance, not anxiety. Let that fear lead you to prayer, not stress. And as we run to Jesus, he replaces it with love, right? Here's the third step when God turns it around. Let's look at verse, or chapter 43. Here's what happens next, verse eight. Then Judah, Israel's upset, Jacob's upset. He's, he's, he doesn't know what to do. He's afraid. They're going back and forth. What are we going to do? Are we going to go back? You know, we got to get Simeon. He's in jail. What are we going to do? Judah said to Israel, his father, Jacob and Israel, same guy, just different name. Send the boy with me and we will arise and we'll go that we may live and not die. Both we, we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. He's pledging safety for Benjamin. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So what's happening here, I would summarize it like this. God blesses sacrifice and self-denial. Here is Judah, the guy that has murdered an entire village. He's beat his brother up, wanted to leave him for dead, ended up selling him into slavery. Uh, this is a rough and tough dude has now come to a point of change and repentance in his own life. And finally, for the first time, he's actually going to sacrifice and deny himself. And he's saying, I will take care of Benjamin. In other words, I'm gonna lay down my life for him. He's becoming a leader in this moment. He's willing to sacrifice for the good of his family. He's saying, I will take responsibility for Benjamin. He's saying, I'll sacrifice my life for his life if it comes down to that. And I will do this for the family. And so here and now in his life, he's showing evidence that he's not just thinking about himself. This is a huge moment in the life of Judah. Things change for him out of this. God blesses him. In fact, part of the blessing for Judah is that the line of the Messiah comes through Judah. And this is one of those moments where it just clicks for him. And he becomes a leader, he becomes a real man. God blesses that sacrifice and self-denial. If you're going through a struggle today, what sacrifices do you need to make for your family? What are you missing? How do you need to deny yourself and put the needs of your family first? You say, well, what does that have to do with the problem that I'm facing? Everything. It's all connected, everything. Some of us are living a life of selfishness and we're just putting our needs and our desires first. And then God brings these problems in and, 
and, and we're mad and upset because now my pleasure and, and my fun is being ruined by this situation. And why can't I just clean all this up so I can keep doing what I'm doing and what I want to do? God's like, no, I love you too much to let you do that. And so he allows these situations to come. You might sacrifice your pride and ask someone to forgive you. You might need to sacrifice financially and bless someone else. You need to maybe sacrifice your time and actually start serving. Maybe you need to give something up that you're just being selfish with. What is it? God, what do I need to lay down? What idols have crept into my life that I've begun to worship more than you? And, and you need to do, you, you and I need to maybe do some idol smashing today. And God might bring something to your mind right now. And if he does, it's like, that's it. That's it. I got to go. And I got to, that's gone. I remove that. And I show God that I'm, I'm going to put others first in this situation. It's a sign of growth. It's a sign to God. It's a sign to others around you, Right? that you are desiring, yes, God, to turn something around in your life, but you're also putting him first. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, God blesses self-denial. Finally, if you want God to turn it around, we've got to recognize this. God blesses those who surrender to his will. God blesses those who surrender to his will. So what Jacob does, he's faced with an enormous decision here. He's about to send all of his sons now back to Egypt where they, where they might be imprisoned, where they might be murdered, and he would lose his entire family. I mean, he's, he's, he's either, I, I, I'm, I'm facing this famine I can't feed my family. We're going to starve to death or I'm potentially going to sacrifice all of my kids. It's kind of a lose-lose situation here, God. What am I going to do here? And what he does is he surrenders to the will of God. Look at this verse. This verse makes me cry. <laughs> verse 14, may God Almighty, he, he's, he, imagine he's praying over his boys as they're about to leave. As they're about to face the, the great and, and biggest danger they've ever experienced. So he prays over them and he says, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. <laughs> little, he, so he's praying for mercy. And little does he know that the man that he's hoping shows mercy to his youngest son is also his son. And may he send back your other brother who's in jail and Benjamin. And as for me, whew, it's a tough one. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, if you take my children I trust your plan. God, if this is the way of suffering from my life, I surrender to your will. I surrender. See, a moment of surrender, a moment of, of letting go in this sense, 
and trusting God that, that, yeah, you're in control. And if you want me to suffer in this way, I surrender to your plan. You are God Almighty. Who am I to doubt you? I will learn what you want me to learn. I will do what you want me to do. And I will worship you no matter what happens. I'm telling you, this is the hardest step. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got to let it go. Just tell them. We're not going to sing the Frozen song today, but so true. If you desire that God would turn it around in your life today, you've got to get to the point where you finally realize that there's nothing you can do to change some situations. It's out of your hands. You're doing everything you can, right? You're praying, you're confessing, you're laying it down. All of this is happening, and yet it is in the hands of an almighty God. And if you keep worrying about it and stressing over it, you're showing your lack of trust in God. I know it's hard, but the only thing that can change this situation is if God intervenes and he loves your marriage more than you do. And he loves your business more than you do. He loves your children more than you do. And he has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to bless you. And so at the end of the day, God turns it around by turning you around. So that's what God's after. He's after your heart. And when he turns you around, he is turning it around. For every single one of us, this is his path and plan for the problems that we're facing. And every problem that you're going through today is a kingdom opportunity. It's a growth opportunity. It's a way for God to bring about change in your life. Change for the better, because he wants you to experience a better life. And so God's allowed a problem into your life. See it as an opportunity for growth. God wants you to own your sin and tell the truth. So what sin do you need to confess today? God blesses sacrifice and self-denial, so what do you need to give up? God blesses those who surrender to his will. Maybe it's time for you to give up control. You never had it in the first place. Your stress and your anxiety, they're not changing anything. Only God can change it. So you trust him to turn it around while you allow him to turn you around. You agree with that? The question is, can you do it? Are you going to let him do it? Are you going to finally just release it? First step to do this is obviously we requires faith in Jesus. It's going to be impossible for you to overcome this without Jesus in your life. Scripture makes it clear that we've all sinned, we've fallen short of God's glory, but God demonstrates his love to us in this. While you and I are sinners, Christ died for us. So on the cross, he dies for your sin, paying for your ability to be forgiven and paying for your entrance into heaven. And what he requires is faith in him. And if we just sum all of this up, God has already turned your greatest problem around. And that is your need for forgiveness. And that is your need to have someone help you through this life. 
Because when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives you the spirit of God to comfort you and to guide you through this life. So he's already turned your biggest problem around. Some of you have never said yes to him. Some of you have never given your life to him. You've never submitted your life to him and said, save me. You've never returned from sin. You've never confessed sin. And, and, And the scripture makes it clear. Like we put our faith in Christ by asking him to save us and then by allowing him to change us. So maybe in this moment, for some of you, it would be, okay, I'm gonna let God turn me around in this season of problems and and, and chaos that I'm going through. And for the others of you, it might be the first step of just saying, I gotta say yes to Jesus. I gotta say yes to Jesus. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? How many in this room all around would say, I'm going through a test, a trial, whatever you want to call it, a challenge. And this one hit me right between the eyes, showing God today. Just raise your hand. This is what I needed all over. I'm going to pray for you guys today, all over the room. You can put it down. How many of you would say, this one hit me, and I think I need to give my life to Jesus? Anybody just lift their hands up today and say, I need to give my life to Jesus? Anybody at all? Say, that's me. I see one. Anybody else? See two. All right. I'm going to help you make that decision right now. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just bow your heads and let's tell this to God. Just pray this prayer. It's not a magical prayer, but this is your statement of faith. You just tell him today, right now, like there's nobody else in the room. Just say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I ask him to forgive me of my sins and come into my life right now. I commit my life to Jesus. Save me right now. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, church, can we just give a round of applause for a couple of folks in the room? We're going to be your biggest cheerleaders. And we're going to support you in this decision. And so we want to encourage you, before you leave, if you've made that decision, I want to encourage you to go to the care and prayer room and tell them what you did today. Uh, You can scan the QR code that's right in front of you, and you can let let us know that way as well. Whatever, Whatever you do, though, just tell somebody today the decision that you've made. For the rest of us, let me, let me pray a prayer, a blessing over us as we go through struggles and challenges and consistently need God's guidance through it all. And then we'll, we'll sing a song together. Father, you saw every hand that was raised. People who are going through really hard times, people who are struggling, don't know where to turn or what to do, I pray, God, that this would be a day of of just dedication. That, God, that you would use the the power of your truth and words to encourage us to trust you, to do what we can do, but then releasing the fear and stress and anxiety over to you and letting you, God, work letting you work and stop trying to be you and let you work. God, we know and trust that you do want to turn it around, but oftentimes that means you got to turn us around. And so 
Help us to hear you quickly, respond to you quickly. Do what, is, do, do what you want us to do, God. And allow you to do the work in our own hearts. And Lord, we trust you. We trust you. But our prayer today is, God, turn it around. Turn it around. Because you're the only one who can. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.